0: Way too many first responders are struggling with their fitness, health, and body goals, but you're not alone in that fight. I'm Ted with Fit Responder and with 11 years experience in law enforcement, as well as being a fitness coach for over 15 years myself. I've created some free resources as well as one-to-one professional fitness coaching for first responders. So I want you to check us out, fitresponder.com, or look us up on Instagram at fit.responder, that's Fit period Responder. And let's see you there. Chat soon. Thanks, and enjoy the podcast. The Poorly Made Police podcast is for entertainment purposes only. This podcast has explicit content and is meant for a mature audience. The views expressed on this Poorly Made podcast reflect the opinions of the guests and host. They do not reflect the opinion of any department or entity. Nothing on this Poorly Made podcast should be construed as legal or marital advice. If something offends you, I kindly invite you to lighten the fuck up. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the orgasmic sound of a crown Vic. Oh, hey there. Now joining the podcast live from, you're going to figure out right away what part of the country he is in. I have my good buddy, Kyle. How are you, buddy?
1: What's up, man? Uh, I was about to say, as soon as I open my mouth, these uh, all these wonderful listeners are probably going to be able to figure out where I'm from. Um, I wanted to just give you a heads up. So whenever I start talking, just uh, if I start speaking too much banjo, just, just let me know and I can try to dial it back a little bit.
0: Hold on a second. Hold on. Did you say what I think you just said? Did you just say banjo? Okay. You know, the South is a big area. Now, people may be wondering why we're not saying what state. We're going to talk in a little bit about a uh, shooting you got into, and we decided just for the sake of uh, playing it safe, we're not going to name the state he is in. But before we get into that, I assume you're drinking moonshine.
1: No, no, uh actually couldn't get some from uh my cousin, so unfortunately we're gonna go with the old Mick Ultra.
0: You being serious right now? No, I'm just joking. I'm I'm mean, I think I'm you're being serious
1: Mick Ultra, but
0: I, I assume <laughs> every good man in the South you know what, I'm just gonna let I'm gonna let the Michelob Ultra go. I'm I'm drinking water so I can't say shit, but I assume every good man in the South either knows how to make moonshine or has a cousin that makes the moonshine, right?
1: I'd say depends on what part of the South. But, uh... <laughs> but I'd actually thought about doing bourbon tonight, but I was like, you know what, I'm going to take it easy on the beers. I'm, uh,
0: I am don't know, man. I don't really get—and I'm sure people are going like, to fucking destroy me for this, but— I don't really taste a big difference between whiskey and bourbon. I'm curious Uh, what like the big difference is. So to my understanding,
1: so what the saying is, I think it's all whiskeys or no, all bourbons are whiskeys, but not all whiskeys are bourbons. I think that uh, you have to be, it has to be made in Kentucky for it to be considered a bourbon. And it has to do with like all the, what percentage of grain it is. And like, it has to be a certain percentage of corn when it comes to the, uh I guess what they use is what they call the mash, uh, which is what they distill it out of.
0: Okay. So basically whiskey, like bourbons an offshoot, I, you know what? I'm not going to even try and figure it out. All I know is it makes me happy. and makes me do stupid stuff on new year's Eve, which we will not repeat here on the podcast.
1: <laughs> it wouldn't be human if uh, we had a little bit of that get bourbon and uh end up in some way regretted.
0: That's the American way. So this is uh this is the first time I've done a podcast in probably three weeks. So I hope I hope I'm not rusty. <laughs> I mean you've got more experience than I do so I'm sure we can work with it. You're doing pretty good so far. So I, I'm impressed. You know that's the, that's the thing I think people forget sometimes listening to podcasts is my guest They aren't, you know, they're not always great public speakers. They're usually just, you know, guys like me. And we've all listened to my first podcast. And you're already doing better than my first podcast. So I believe in you.
1: Man, I I will say I've listened to your podcast for a long time. Um, Poor soul. Probably about 95% of them. I will say the first one it was it was rough, but thankfully you know, hey, you're you're working your way towards the top. You start working kinks out and everything. So, did you say kinks? Well, when I when I say kinks,
0: <laughs> not like like uh, like a spitting kink or something like that, that, that but just that, like no. I, like you know, choking their bass player or nothing
1: like that, but more like uh, your technical issues. I guess I should say.
0: Oh, okay, okay, okay.
1: Yeah one one thing about me is. uh I got a lot of little isms that I'll say. So uh, you'll probably pick up on those pretty
0: quick. I think that's a Southern thing. And that's the thing I'll enjoy. One of my favorite podcasts, and I think it was way back in season one. Mm-hmm. I want to say it was a fella from Tennessee or the likes. Maybe it was Kentucky, but I swear to God, every five minutes was a different ism. It was impressive. Was that the one that uh, y'all talked about uh
1: the, the argument between soda and pop
0: and all that, dude. That ha- I feel like that happens every couple months. I don't know why people lose their mind on that. It's I soda mean, pop. It's pop. It's soda. It, who cares? It tastes good and it destroys your insides. Exactly. Potato, potato. Exactly. We need to make. That's what's going to bring this country together. Not you know any race, relations or whatever else. It's just it's who gives a shit what you call a pop or a soda. Give your exactly. balls a tug, you tit fuckers. <laughs> now, in the part of the country you're in, is it pop or is it soda? Or is it soda pop? What do you guys call it? I've I've heard them
1: called soda. I've heard it called pop. Um, a lot of the old timers, uh, they actually call them dope. Nope? No, 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 like drugs, like dope. Oh, dope. Are yep. you serious? My, uh, I had a great-grandfather. He, he always talked about uh, walking to the general store years and years ago, back before God, probably before they even had running water, but uh, he'd always talk about going down to the store. Before, before. <laughs>
0: Sorry. Couldn't help it. You're good, man. You're good. <laughs> anyway, he kept on... Did I ruin the... I think I ruined the whole story with the banjos. Oh don't no,
1: no. Pretty much the gist of it is a lot, a lot of the old-timers, Um, they they used a lot of Different terms um, for stuff that we commonly know as nowadays, uh, but one, one, yeah, one of the ones was was uh, soda and stuff. They would call it dope, um, like a, a bag. They would call it a poke, and uh, just just little stuff like that.
0: Fair enough. Well, I guess enough about dope. Well, maybe about dope. I don't know. <laughs> let's let's learn a little bit about you, man. So, how long have you been in law enforcement for?
1: So roughly about four years um i started out working for a uh, local police department i worked there for close to two years and then transferred to a sheriff's office
0: right after that and worked about two years there okay so you're you're would you technically be considered gen z uh to be honest
1: i don't really keep up with the uh the generations and stuff um I was born, so...
0: Oh, would, now you're going to have to fucking make me do some math. What ages are Gen Z? Sounds um, like it's worth it. Between the mid-90s. Okay, so you're Gen Z. Here's a question ah. I have for you. Okay, don't worry about it. I won't judge you for it, probably. Because everybody <laughs> hated millennial, millennials. Not all of us are the same, okay? But I could be way off base with this.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I feel like in different regions of the country the generational stuff is just not as apparent and i would feel like in the south and again i could be completely making shit up but i just i just feel like in the south you don't see people your age doing gen z shit you know what i mean does that make sense you know what i'm saying
1: definitely not
0: um no, it's not like you're going to catch me dancing on TikTok or, or some shit,
1: but I uh, know a lot of times, yeah, I enjoy hanging out with my friends and stuff, but I, I actually enjoy sitting down with the older generations and, and listening to stories and stuff with them and, and spending time with my family, and uh, it's like, hell, just today, you know, I was outside doing yard work most of the time, uh, using the tractor, pulling logs and cutting up firewood, cutting down trees and stuff, splitting wood, so...
0: That's the most American shit I've ever heard in my life. You goddamn right. God, that makes me that makes me happy. <laughs> so why did you get into law enforcement? What what drew you to it? Oh man. Well,
1: so you might hate me for this, but uh my long journey towards the dark side started with uh the fire department. So I actually started volunteering. Game. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> hey, you know, it's all about getting out there and, uh, you know, jerking your five inch and all that stuff. And, uh,
0: you know, you know all the, how
1: the firemen are.
0: Oh, yeah, I know.
1: But, uh, <laughs> so anyways, so started with that, uh, that kind of started my venture into emergency services and. Uh, ended up making some friends that were uh, dispatchers and uh, ended up started working. Part time at the 911 Center for the County, which was actually under the Sheriff's Office.
0: And uh, now, did you join the dispatch center because of the hot chicks, or was it dudes?
1: Uh, it, it was mostly because of my friends, to be honest.
0: Okay. So, not because of a hot chick drug you into it? No,
1: no. I try to, you know, stick to that whole saying of don't dip your pen
0: in the company ink. You deserve a medal for that. Everybody fucking remember that shit. So, you got into dispatching, and then where did it go from there? So, from dispatching,
1: um, I did that for about four years part time, uh, maybe continued it a little bit uh, once I started the police department. But so, I did a ride along with one of the deputies one night, and I was sitting there thinking, Man, this is actually pretty fucking cool. Um, I think we did like a search warrant on a house or something that time, or, or some shit happened where we had to sit on the house while uh some shit happened. I think the guy overdosed and had a bunch of shit. But so uh from there ended up going through basic law enforcement training and that was I think like a six, seven month class, something like that. And uh after that that's that's when I applied for the local police department. And uh it went pretty well. But uh I'd say one of the main reasons that I got into law enforcement so growing up my mom and dad they they split up at a very young age i think i just started kindergarten at the time and uh my dad at the time he kind of just disappeared for a little while did his own thing and my mom started hanging around the wrong crowd well the issue with that was this guy that she got into a relationship with was a wannabe gangbanger or wherever the fuck he was Uh, But I think he started dealing with dope and everything. Uh, They would throw parties at the house almost every weekend, if not every other weekend. And uh, we lived in a double-eyed trailer at the time. So, I mean, you can pretty much hear fucking anything in that house. And uh, so my mom, she ended up getting on dope. Uh, I think it first started with pills and then went from pills to meth and then to heroin. And uh, I dealt with her for probably 14 16 years of my life um dealing with all the things that come with that and uh pretty much had to help raise one of my little sisters whenever she was born because my mom was too busy going around trying to trying to find her next fix and all this shit, and we just leave my little sister with me at the time and oh, uh
0: yeah.
1: so I, I was uh 15 no 16. um that was that was whenever you know, she started to relapse and yeah. I started to have to help with my other little sister and all that stuff. But uh, so after seeing all the stuff that I dealt with at a young age, um, I kind of decided that, you know, I want to do something about the drug epidemic in our community. And I figured the best way to go about it was law enforcement and uh, actually decided to look into going into the SRO stuff at uh, one point in my career. And I figured, you know, the best way to go about that whole situation is not focus on the bad of that situation and kind of use it to where I can use my experiences and knowledge about everything that I've dealt with and come through that if there are any kids that are going through that stuff, which unfortunately the way that society is nowadays, there's probably even more kids that are having to deal with the same shit that I had to So. Um, that way, you know, I could, I could kind of be a positive role model for some of those kids and at least make them realize like, Hey, on, you're not alone. You don't have to grow up like your parents do and do the same shit. You can break the cycle. And, uh, yeah, that's pretty much why.
0: Now I, I got a couple questions about all that and not to get too personal, but did your dad ever come back in to the fray or anything like that? Or what's his deal? Yeah,
1: he, uh, So he ended up moving over towards um, another town and ended up getting with my step, or well, now stepmom, or well, I think they're actually going through a divorce and that used to be stepmom, I guess. Um, The artist formerly
0: known as the stepmom. Fair enough.
1: And uh, before you ask, no, she didn't get stuck in the dryer or anything.
0: (laughs) I wasn't even going to go there because I'm sober, but you know what? Nope. I'm just going to leave that alone. Go on though. So uh,
1: he ended up uh, getting custody of me um, when I was, I'll say 10, 12 years old and uh, moved in with him, led with him for a little while and there for a while. I mean, I think a lot of it was, he just didn't really want to pay child support at the time. And I think, the main reason was probably how my stepmom was towards him, which it's, it's not his fault, you know, Hey, it's, it's in the past shit happens, but, uh, we just from it and move on. But, uh, me and him got into an argument, uh, I think it was my senior year. And so I ended up leaving and pretty much couch surfed off of my friends, uh, places from time to time. And, uh, Then my very last, like, half of my senior year, last quarter of my senior year, I moved back in with my mom, and she'd been doing okay. She'd kind of just was to and from here and there. Like, I think she went to Florida at one point, and then Virginia, and then Chicago, and then moved back, and uh, I think she went through a couple rehab centers, but she seemed to be doing okay, so I ended up moving in with her, and then she met my other stepdad at the time, and... uh, they ended up both relapsing, but uh, because my stepdad at the time, uh, when they, they met her, they were actually in a halfway house together, so uh, that's pretty much a recipe for disaster. But, anyways, so once she relapsed again, that was when she started having my other little sisters, and uh, I kind of had to help step in and keep an eye of them. And uh, she had actually overdosed one day, and the people that she was shooting up with. Ended up dropping her off at um, one of the medic bases. And one of my buddies I was on the fire department with, because it was right after I joined the fire department, he just gotten off work that day. And I was listening to the radio. And uh, cause you know how it is when you first, whether it's law enforcement or fire or whatever, you're always intrigued with the radio. want to know what's going on and stuff. Yep. But uh, so anyways, I'd heard about that overdose call. And uh, I asked my buddy, I was like, because I just had a weird feeling that day. I said, Hey man, what was the what was the deal with that overdose call? And he was like, Oh man, these people just dropped her off. It, she pretty much just about checked the fuck out. I was like, Well fuck. I said, uh, it wasn't a very short lady with like blonde hair and all that. And now I said the name and all that. And he was like, he was like, Yeah, that's it's kinda of odd, you know that. I was like, Yeah, I think I might it might be my mom. He was like, No, there's there's no way it was your mom. She's too young. And I was like, Well, first of all, my mom had me in high school. And uh so I, I told him, I was like, No, I said the name. He's like, Yeah, that's her. I'm like, Oh fuck. So I had to go with my grandparents to the uh, sheriff's office that night and draw up IBC papers on her while she was actually in the
0: hospital. So Wow. Let me ask you this, dude. Did you ever feel, you know, because being a teenager is a really impressionable time? Did you ever feel like tempted to get into that lifestyle at all or anything like that?
1: Um, I mean, as, as far as, you know, substances and stuff like that go, um, nothing really like stringent. Um, I would hang out with my buddies and stuff like that. And we would go camping on the weekends and we'd get a hold, like, someone would write their parents liquor cabinet or um they would get a, a case of beer or some shit and we'd just go back in the woods somewhere and camp and and, uh, and then you know some of them would have marijuana and stuff like that around and uh, end up trying it a little bit but thankfully uh you know some of those experiences they were pretty much able to kind of help shape the way that i am today and just been able to use them as a uh, learning experience
0: That was actually going to be my my next question for you is if you had somebody or like, you know, whether they're grandparent or whoever, friend or family, that kind of kept you, I guess, normal. Cause you, I mean, that's the, yeah, I'm sure you know it. That's a shitty way to grow up. Oh yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, um, yeah, it was actually my grandparents. Honestly, they have pretty much been more of my parents than, uh, my own parents have been at times, and uh, they, they're the ones that, you know, go to church three times a week. Uh, they would always help teach Sunday school and stuff. Their son was my uncle. He actually is a uh, pastor of the church that we all go to, And, uh, but no, they uh, if it wasn't for them, I mean, hell, there's no telling where the fuck I'd be. I mean, I, I could have ended up just like my mom and ended up on dope or doing some stupid Well. When I say stupid shit, I mean we've all done stupid shit at a young age. But uh, but no, it, it, if it wasn't for my grandparents, I, I definitely don't know where I would be today.
0: Yeah, it, it, here's a little bit of self awareness on my part. I know a lot of people listen to podcasts. I know I do this a lot, or maybe you guys are now going to notice I do this a lot. But you like that that story really reminded me about some friends that I had growing up that lived up the street. And I, you know, I was fairly lucky. I think everybody thinks that, oh, my parents were so bad and I such a hard childhood. And, and maybe some people do, but most people are just trying to get by. They're like anybody else. And I think now that, you know, I'm in my 30s, I see that a little bit more as, you know, life is life's tough, right? They got things to worry about. But oh, yeah. he, my friend and his brother, they had uh, mom and dad got separated dad was an overho over the road trucker and an alcoholic. And so he was barely there. And then mom, you know, she did her best to get by, but she fell into the wrong crowd. And Mm I looking back on this now from like the ages of 14 to 16, when I hung out on it with them, I could see like how she was like pretty normal when I first met her. And then like how she was like a doper essentially by the time Mm I, I kind of stopped hanging out with them. But it was, you know, one of the one of the brothers did really good for himself, but he was like he was a fucking total shithead. And then like he he actually joined the military and it straightened him up. And then the other one, you know, he kind of followed his mom's path and you know was in and out of jail. And the last I heard, he's doing better now. But it's you know, I, I talk on the podcast about like, you know, parenting and how important that is, but God, man, I just I I just feel for the people that when you're when you're a kid you don't have parents you know maybe i know i'm not the best parent but i know i'm not bringing fucking strangers over to bang me you know what i mean exactly. like, not yet but well, yeah you know there's still time ladies hit me I mean, up. i'm, I mean, you know,
1: I'm uh, happily married. you know, hopefully if you know the economy doesn't get too bad and uh times don't get too rough you won't have to look at uh starting only fans or anything so
0: I, I've really been tempted to start an OnlyFans for my Crown Vic because I thought <laughs> that'd be funny, but uh I don't want to steal people's money. That's why I haven't done like a Patreon or anything. I just feel I feel weird about it. Um, but enough about me. nobody cares about me. We want to hear about you. I I'm glad you made it out, man, because that's it's hard. Did you have any other brothers and sisters? Are uh, they I mean yes, I know you um, had the little I know you had the little sister. Is she doing good? Any other siblings? Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. I'm actually the uh, oldest of six siblings. So I've only got one full-blooded sister. And then, so with my dad and my stepmom, I have two other little half-sisters and uh, one little half-brother. And then with my mom and stepdad, I had uh, just my other two little sisters. And uh, one of them was actually... I think she was born addicted to heroin. Like they had to Ugh. go through detox and shit. So that was uh,
0: that was pretty rough. But kiddo's good now. Oh yeah, yeah, that's good. It's good to hear. Now, I, I'm sorry, this has gotten a little bit personal, but you know, how are your parents these days? Are they doing better or about they're, the same? They're
1: doing good. Um, so my mom, uh, she actually moved to a different state. Um, she got into a relationship with another guy and uh, I was kind of uncertain about it because it was kind of the same situation where uh, she ended up meeting this guy and you know because I, I ended up letting, long story short um, my great grandmother was letting my mom and my sister live with uh, them at the time so I ended up finding this one place and I let my mom and uh, my sister move in with me because my mom seems like she has been doing good for a good while now, uh, probably four years, been holding the job, staying steady, not hanging around questionable people. So I decided to give her a chance. And uh, plus, I don't think they really had anywhere else to go. So <clears throat> so I let my mom move in. And this guy that she met, um, she was very, like I guess, withholding uh, of a lot of information about this guy. So that right there was a red flag for me. So I started to look into who this guy was and started digging around Facebook. Once I found out who he was, um, started looking through court records. Once I found out where he was from and found out that pretty sure I'm 90% positive this guy and her met in rehab, even though she wouldn't ever tell me. Um, but he ended up uh, having, what was it? Like two or three counts of obtaining money by false pretense. And uh, for some of you non-listeners out there, or not non-listeners, but uh, some of you non-law enforcement people that are listening to the podcast, it's basically stealing. So just kind of like a fraud or something like that. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, So then he had that, a couple DWIs, which I wasn't too terribly worried about that, but I did notice some. Possessing drug paraphernalia and as well as a assault on law enforcement charge. So which oh, I believe it actually got led down to like simple assault or some shit, which go yeah, fucking figures. But anyways, so with that, af- after about a month, I think of her seeing this guy, she ended up just being like, hey, I'm leaving. I'm moving out in with this guy. And she got married to him within a month of. Seeing him, I'm like, what in the fuck? But, uh, yeah, she... I don't, I don't know. I, I'm still kind of, like, uneasy about the whole situation. Like, I'm trying to be a little open-minded, but, I mean, still, after everything I've dealt with in the past with her... I wouldn't be open-minded. I'm a little uncertain.
0: Yeah, I, I have some thoughts on your mom, but I'm not going to share them. But... Fair enough. I, I'm i I'm glad you made it out. I, I, I know I said that before, but... One, one last question about this, and then we'll cleanse our palate and do something fun, and then we'll talk okay. about something not fun again. But what, since your parents kind of have this, uh, you know, maybe a little bit of a legal background, but in a negative sense, what did they think about you becoming a cop?
1: So my mom, at the time when I first started to become law enforcement, me and her really didn't have a relationship. Um, because that was after her real big overdose and all that. So me and her weren't really on talking terms. Um, I pretty much distanced myself just to kind of, you know, protect me. And my dad at the time, I, I think he was happy for me, but he wasn't really, he was I don't think he was fully on board, which I, I think a lot of my family members were like that. Um, even my grandfather, he, uh, he retired as a captain at one of the bigger bigger agencies around here uh back in like i think the 80s but uh and he, he didn't even want me to get into law enforcement to begin with but uh once once i actually started you know getting to the the whole groove of working law enforcement he was actually proud and happy to be you know that i was in that line of work and you know when He was, it was always awesome to call him and talk with him, and and we could just tell each other stories and you know, just use cop rhetoric and stuff. And like, we would just we would both get it, and we'd even talk about like uh, how the 10 codes and stuff like that changed. And it just I could tell just tickled him to death.
0: I think we spent some time diving deep into your personal life, which was not totally my intent, but do you brought something up that I think we need to talk about and discuss, and that's. The weird fucking thing with stepmoms and stepsisters. Why? Why is that a thing? Do you know why it's a thing? Because I don't know why that's a thing. Oh, the whole step joke and all that shit. Yeah, because I think some people would be down with that. I could be wrong, though. So, evidently, I guess, like, on uh, some of the
1: spicy sites, I guess you could call them, um, for some reason there for a while. They're just like, I guess they come out with like a bunch of like step family shit because there was a, I guess a bunch of people that just ended up like having fantasies about that shit or whatever. And, uh, yeah. So I guess it's kind of turned
0: into like its own meme, I guess you could say. I love that. You called it spicy sites. I enjoy that very much. Thank you. Yeah. That should be the poll on the podcast, whether the, the step brother, their sister thing is a thing. I don't know. Like, you know, my I don't have any experience with it. You know, I, I apparently I was one of the few people to make it through the nineties without their parents getting a divorce. I mean, I'm I'm thinking about all of my friends. I can think of maybe a handful of other friends that their parents actually stayed together, Mm-mm. which is sad. Well, I
1: mean, it, it's not always that bad because I mean, you think about it, especially if you're a young kid. I mean, think about it this way: two Christmases,
0: and the parents are competing for your love, so you get see awesome stuff. Yeah, all right, all right, man. I kind of wish my parents did get a divorce now. There's always a silver
1: lining to everything.
0: If my parents got a divorce now, though, I think it would destroy me. Like now, yeah, now. yeah. Know, that'd be that'd be rough.
1: Yeah, so I, I, I mean, don't actually wish you, that I take uh, that
0: back if the big man's listening it was a joke for a podcast please do not do that <laughs> yeah I mean if you're at the age right now I mean you might just get like
1: double the pair of socks that you usually get
0: yeah yeah it's not like I'll have like cool dad and cool mom to like fight over each other's love I mean it would be like you know depressing one bedroom apartment or depressing one bedroom apartment you know this is true. Yeah, no cool bunk beds or anything. No. It'd be not not fun right now.
1: I mean, the only upside though is bunk beds, because I, I had some at a younger age. They do give you so much more room for activities.
0: Yeah. Me, uh me and my my brother, I'm the oldest. Uh you guys heard my brothers in the podcast. I don't remember. My middle brother what fake name he used the car guy the dui guy the guy that doesn't like crown vix and he should go fuck himself for that but we had these beds that were awesome and we could take them apart or put them back together and yeah i would say probably like once every six months we we're like uh you know what maybe we can well let's rearrange it and put it in bunk beds because it'll be so much more room and then you know then we'd argue who gets top or bottom and then we'd End up splitting them and it was like a whole ordeal all the time. I'm sure my parents loved it. Mm. Did uh, whenever you went and put the bunk beds together, did you at least go to the garage and do karate every time? Fuck yeah, every time it has to be done. Speaking of garage <laughs> karate, have you ever seen the movie Hot Rod?
1: Oh, it's been a hot minute since I've seen it, but that's uh,
0: more of the classics. That is the fucking most underrated stupid slapstick movies ever it's so good and i highly encourage if you want something dumb to watch go watch hot rod just do it (laughs) the safe word's whiskey my uh my kid whiskey my kid can't beat me at anything and i won't let him because he's like 13 now and i'm like he's gotta he's gotta defeat me like a man it's not like a kid playing around you let him win that's now he has it. to beat me, like a man. And uh, I don't... One, I'll admit, one time he did beat me in basketball. But uh, that'll never happen again. I can guarantee you that. And uh, I always call him Hot Rod because he can't beat me in anything. So, mm. But one day, he'll probably kick my ass. But we hope hey, that never happens. Hey, then, you
1: know how it goes. Ain't no participations in this house,
0: son. You know that's right. All right. Well, since we cleansed our palate. I think uh, I think now it's time to get into the down and dirty a little bit. Actually, you know what? Before we do that, before we talk about your OIS, before I forget, let's make sure we do the officer of the podcast. So as you guys know, my uh, good friends over at Ghost Patch, they have generously donated some patches that will go to the officer of the podcast. And the only way you can get it is if you're an officer of the podcast. I feel like I've said officer of the podcast 400 times in the last 30 seconds. But so if you want to nom- nominate your buddies for the officer of the podcast, email me poorly made police memes at gmail.com or DM me. Uh, I'm doing the emails first. So email first. So this one uh, I will read. Good day. I recently found your page. And after another one of my coworkers, who is a follower, constantly sends me your memes. While looking, man, this is just blowing me up. We'll read this very slowly. While looking on your Facebook page, I found an older post regarding your officer of the podcast nomination. I'd like to nominate your listener who connected me to the page and a good friend, blank. Blank and I were first on scene to a CPR in progress a few months ago. Dispatch advised that EMS was 15 minutes away when the hospital was only six minutes from our location. Without thinking... Blank suggested we put the individual in a patrol car and transport to the hospital. Blank and I loaded the patient into the backseat of patrol car. I drove to the hospital with Blank standing in the backseat, continuing CPR. The patient was delivered to the emergency room and ended up surviving due to our efforts after being stabilized and airlifted for higher care. Shortly after the incident, our patrol lieutenant wrote us both up for breaking policy and refused the nominations from our sergeant for the department life-saving award. Despite the constant railroading by admin, Blank continues to lead by example by mentoring younger officers and newer officers. He continues to show dedication, drive, and selflessness, self-ness-less-ness, I can say that, for the job. And for that, Blankety, you are the officer of the podcast. Do you think he deserves a air horn, T-Rex, or a hand clap?
1: Oh, you gotta go with the air horn, man. Can't be the air horn. There it
0: is. I gotta go on a fucking rant, because when this got emailed to me, I almost threw my computer. <laughs> this is why people don't want to be cops, okay? A lot of it is the big part of, you know, society and all the bullshit and all the stupid laws and blah, blah, blah. You know what the biggest fucking problem is? Is admin like this fucking twat that shit on their guys after saving someone's life, shit on their guys for doing something innovative. You Could you it? imagine writing somebody up after doing CPR and saving their life? Yeah, that's that's pretty fucked. Fuck this lieutenant. You Lieutenant, if you listen to this podcast, which you probably don't because you're a lieutenant, you were a fucking piece of garbage, and you're the non-officer of the podcast, you fucking... Come sucking queef. I don't know what that is, but fuck you, man. sounds like it rolled off the tongue pretty well. Fuck you, buddy. I, I just, it it makes me so unbelievably angry. You know, I've said it before. If I, th- no, you know what? No matter all the shit that was going on in Colorado, if I thought my department was going to do the right thing and back me up or support us or do the best to lead us or have our best interests, I'd still be a cop right now, but I'm not because of fucking uh, brass and people like that. Go fuck yourself, Lieutenant, you fucking bitch. Fuck you. I feel like I'm going a little Alex Jones here. I should probably tone it down a little bit. They're putting chemicals in the water that's turned the freaking frogs gay. How's that guy on TV, by the way? Like, is it a joke? Do I not get it? Like, is that like a joke or people actually, like, is he like a serious thing or like what? What is that? I don't know. I've never right, really capped up with his shit, but in all honesty,
1: man, like some of the stuff that he said, it just seems so far fetched that it's just like it, part of me wants to believe it's like a character. But it has to side, be, right?
0: I don't I don't know, man. Well, I think Alex Jones is gonna be well didn't he just get like sued by the families of uh oh, Newtown. Uh,
1: yeah.
0: I think it was the families of uh Oh, what the fuck was
1: that shooting up north?
0: Uh, yeah, it was Newtown. It was the elementary school, I think. He was, like, saying some crazy shit how it was, wasn't was it wasn't actually real and all this stuff in the family Yeah, he was
1: saying it was, like, staged and all this shit. And,
0: and evidently, like, a
1: lot of his listeners and fans and shit were actually harassing some of the family members.
0: That's fucking garbage, man. That's fucking garbage. Fuck those people. Fuck those people, too. Fair all right. enough. There's been a lot of anger, and I'm not even drinking, which is concerning. Could you imagine if I had whiskey or <laughs> bourbon in me at this point? It'd be, I'd still be going off. All right. So, you were involved in a in a critical incident, and you're actually you're one of the early people that messaged me when back when I I started this monstrosity of a podcast. So I'm I'm working my way, getting everybody on, and you'd mentioned you uh you had been in this OIS so. I guess we'll kind of run through the numbers. And and I think the big thing for this, I wanted to tell, you know, as you tell the story, like anything on this podcast, you know, obviously, you know, this isn't training or anything, but I think this is a good, good story as far as, you know, what you went through and what you saw and what you did, because I I think it's just, I think helpful to hear, hear how this works or hear somebody else going through it. If they've been through it and, and all that good stuff, I think it's just good information to have out. How long oh, had you been on the road as a cop when this happened?
1: Oh, gosh. Um, just a little over a year. Um, you know, one thing I wanted to add to that was, uh, you know, as, as you're going through the academy or our BLAT or, or wherever the fuck your state calls it, um, one of the things, you know, they, they teach you how to use deadly force and stuff and, and sort of be somewhat proficient with firearms. But one of the things they do not prepare you for or teach you about Is the aftermath of it, and I think that's that's one thing that I think as maybe not just law enforcement as a whole, but I think you know emergency services as a whole, um, which it seems like we're starting to get a little bit better about it with you know critical incident groups and um, different kinds of therapies and stuff. And but one of the things is, I mean, you deal with you know going after through that traumatic event. And then there's times where you don't know what the fuck to do. And if if you end up going through a situation that's, I guess, very specific, uh, you might not have any kind of support system um, or anyone that's actually been through the same thing that you have or even been close through the same thing that you have. And they might tell you, you know, hey, man, I, I don't know what the fuck to do. And they might look at you and just be like, I, I don't know what to tell you. And, uh, so, you know, sometimes that can be a shitty feeling, but, uh, yeah, it it seems like we're starting to get a little bit better about that whole situation.
0: Which is insane because I don't know, policing's only been around for 150 years. That's fine. Some, somebody else will figure it out, man. Just kick it down the road. Somebody else will figure it out, you know? Exactly. So you were a, a new cop. It was a night shift, right? Yes. What was the call?
1: so if i remember correctly i think the call come out as like some sort of domestic disturbance or something like that me and my supervisor we'd we'd actually so we were working like our fourth knot um on our rotation shift and we were just kind of chilling because our our past three knots had absolutely whipped our ass and just to give you an idea of how small our department is so on knots we only have two officers covering the town, so if someone ended up, you know, arresting someone and and taking them to jail, well, you've got the whole town to yourself. Now, granted, I will say we uh, we work fairly well uh, with the sheriff's office. So a lot of times, if there is something, you know, that we might need some backup on or something, then they're pretty good about sending someone to help us out stuff and stuff, and vice versa. So.
0: Now, just to give an idea for the listeners, like population wise, how big's the town.
1: Oh gosh. Um uh, That's actually worth a Google. Um <laughs> worth a google. Stand one. by for a second. Let me let me see if I can figure this out because I, I want to be accurate on this. Oh fuck, I was way off. Samsung um, so it's actually uh uh roughly about five thousand people. That's not, two's not C- bad for
0: a city. Yeah, two's not that bad for a city that size, I don't think. But
1: the one thing they don't really take into consideration is uh so we have the biggest or one of the biggest interstates um running through our county. So one of the issues with that is I mean, we deal with a lot of people that are going to and from or just passing by through that county. So
0: mm, I gotcha. So you get the call, it's like some kind of domestic stir- disturbance, and then what happens?
1: that call goes out and it's actually originally for the county, but I think most of the county guys were either tied up at the time. Uh, I think it was like one in the morning. But, so we were actually the closest to that. And once the call come out saying there were some kind of altercations, people were in an argument or something, and someone had a gun. Uh, at that point, we just looked at each other and was like, they're probably going to you know, ask us for 78, so let's just go ahead and head that way so we end up headed down uh the highway there and i remember we was running lights and sirens and then once we got about i don't know mile and a half two miles away from it my supervisor turned his lights and sirens off so i did the same thing well we're still bebopping down the road and that's when uh dispatch ended up on the radio saying the caller called back and advised that they can hear someone near the flea market that was just right down the road uh, from the original call, uh, that they could hear someone yelling or, or screaming or something. So we start to get down towards the uh, flea market, and we start coming to like a slow roll through there, seeing if we've seen anything. And uh, then my supervisor ended up, who was in front of me, ended up throwing to park and so I did the same. He turned his blue lights on. And as soon as I opened up my driver's side door and before my foot even touched the pavement, I heard him yell, gun. So I get out, get down behind the engine block, and I hear to my right on the opposite side of my car um, some yelling. So then I look, and I could see the silhouette of this guy that's on this billboard. And now to give you an idea, so this billboard was maybe eight, nine feet off the ground. It was kind of odd. But, uh, so anyways, I end up drawing my handgun out. We're both giving him commands, yelling at him, you know, hey, drop the gun, drop the gun, drop the gun. And I see the silhouette of his AR. I take my flashlight out because we didn't have weapon mounted lights at the time. So I just sit there and hold handgun with one hand, flashlight in the other. And I shot on him. And I see he's got the AR. I don't see a mag in the mag well. And he keeps fucking with the charging handle. So, as I'm sitting there How, watching, how yelling, far
0: away is he from you at this point?
1: Uh, probably about 30, 35 feet.
0: Okay. No, not feet, yards. Okay.
1: But, uh, so we're yelling at him, giving the commands. And I remember at one point, I could tell he had a red dot on there. Because when he raised and aimed towards me, I could see the little red light from the top of his gun. So... I'm sitting there thinking, no oh, fuck. So, I open my or get my driver's side door open, get my radio, because I, I tried hollering on my little mobile radio, and we couldn't get out. So I grabbed my uh, mobile radio there in my troll vehicle, hollered on it. Still couldn't get out. Just to at least let dispatch know what we're dealing with. And uh, so I was like, well, fuck. At this point, we're pretty much on our own. So I'm sitting there thinking, I've got an AR in the trunk. I'm going to match his firepower. So I crawl around to the back of my patrol car, pop the trunk, and get my AR out, crawl back around the driver's side, throw my sling on, turn my side on, chamber around. And <clears throat> my supervisor who's in front of me, he he pulled too far past that billboard. And he wasn't able to get to the back of his trunk without to get his AR without uh, exposing himself. So, um, at that time, right as soon as I readied my rifle, the uh, one of the sheriff's deputies pulled up behind me, and he ended up getting out of his car. I heard him chamber around his AR, and he kind of, I guess, in, in front of the A pillar and near the front windshield, he ended up posting up and with his rifle. Started yelling. At the guy dropped the gun, and at this time, the guy had moved from the left side of the billboard, which was actually not lit, and uh, he had moved to the right side of the billboard, which was actually lit, so we could see him a lot better, thankfully. But uh, so we ended up. Let's see. I remember at that point. So that's why I was getting ready to stand up. And post my rifle on the uh, roof of my patrol car. And my supervisor started yelling, get the cover, he's loading in a mag. And I see him bent over. And he puts in a mag. And he's still fucking with the charging handle. And I remember yelling at him, you know, drop the gun.
0: Is he saying anything to you guys at this point?
1: No, he's just like incoherently just like, grunting and yelling and just making all kinds of weird noises and shit okay. um, I remember the only coherent word that he ever said during that whole encounter was I yelled at him I said please don't do this please drop the gun I said please don't make me do this I said I don't want to don't make me live with this I said we can help you we can get the, you the help you need drop the gun And right after I yelled that, the only coherent word that he said was why. And so he was uh, bent over, loading that mag, had the charging handle, and he was still fucking with it. So there was some kind of malfunction that he had with it. Well, he ended up grabbing the charging handle and hit the butt on the, uh, the walkway. So pretty much what he did is he mortared the rifle. Um, so for those of you who aren't familiar with that term, it's pretty much grabbing the mechanism of a firearm and hitting the butt against it to try and clear whatever malfunction you're having with it, whether it's, a, a failure to extract or, or whatever. So I ended up had my rifle on him, and it was weird. It was like, I remember talking to myself in my head and I was like, if this fucker raises towards us one more time, he's done. And sure as shit. Whenever he mortared that thing, I guess it cleared whatever round was stuck in the chamber. And he turned around just one smooth motion, raised his rifle. And that's when I started ripping the trigger. And what was odd. So I couldn't even hear my gunshots. And I could faintly hear my supervisor's gunshot from his handgun. Uh, It was very faint. But uh, as I'm pulling the trigger, I'm sitting there watching these rounds hit him in the chest. Like, I'm seeing his shirt pop. I'm seeing the blood fly out of his back. And he raised towards the deputy. And then he started, he turned towards us and started walking towards the end of the billboard towards us. and started raising towards my supervisor and I. And I'm still ripping the trigger. And then it was like all of a sudden, you know, I seen him just like start to fall forward. And then it was like a flip of the switch. He just, his knees give out and he fell backwards. So my supervisor, evidently he yelled cease fire like a couple times, but I didn't hear that. So I heard like one cease fire at the very ass end of it. But, uh, so, once, you know, the smoke sort of settled, and that, like, the funny thing was, so, or not really funny, but uh, ended up, <clears throat> before he hit the ground, I felt my bulk carrier lock open on my AR, so, I knew I was out, so I, and that was before he even, like, fell down, before he dropped, so, I ended up dropping my mag. And reaching my pastor's seat, grabbed a spare mag, slapped it in, slapped the bolt carrier release, got back on target. And <clears throat> my supervisor yelled, are y'all good? I said, I'm good. Well, I didn't hear anything from the guy to my right, the sheriff's deputy. And I look, he's laying on his back, not making any noise, nothing. I'm like, oh, fuck. And I'm sitting there thinking, he's fucking dead. And so I yelled my supervisor, I said, Hey, he's, he's hit. And so my supervisor told me to keep that guy covered. And he ran over to the sheriff's deputy. I remember him yelling for a tourniquet. And the funny thing was, so during this situation, I don't even remember doing this part. So when he yelled for a tourniquet, I always carried an IFAC kit, which had, uh, Israeli bandages, quick clot, tourniquet, all that kind of stuff. And, uh, I carried it connected to my, I had it like uh, secured to my headrest to my passenger seat. And uh, evidently I reached into my passenger seat, grabbed that thing and tossed it at him. And I don't even remember doing that part, but the fun. So whenever I found out that I did it, because I remember once I got back to work, I'm sitting there thinking, where in the fuck is my IFAC kit? And <clears throat> Turns out when I watched the uh, dash cam video from the sheriff's vehicle, I'd done just, you know, that, grabbed it, threw it towards him. I didn't even realize that I'd done that. And uh, so anyways, so I'm, I'm sitting there keeping this guy covered, and the rest of the sheriff's office shows up. So <clears throat> some of them parked a little ways away because we couldn't get out on the radio. We We didn't. We didn't have a way to get out and let them know what had just happened, so they didn't know what they were walking into. So, some of them parked a little ways away and made their way down the highway on foot. And uh, so we're sitting there. I am keeping the guy covered, and the sergeant comes up and the uh, corporal on the shift he he comes up and uh, he's like on me. So I break cover, wait for the triangle, go up, press the billboard, and the only thing that's hanging off the billboard that we could reach was the guy's foot. So just to make sure he wasn't a threat, um, Corporal ended up jumping up and slapping the guy's foot. He didn't move or anything. And uh, so then I was told So hold
0: on a second. He was actually on the billboard, or was he on the ground near the billboard? No, he was on the the billboard. No shit. Like on the little catwalk or whatever? Yeah. Yeah, so...
1: How far off the ground was, was he? It was about eight, nine feet okay so and to kind of describe the billboard so it's like so the highway is running parallel to it and on the point where he was able to transfer it kind of comes together like a v almost okay so that's if that can give you yeah no no it's like just it.
0: that's crazy man it's just that's <clears throat> wild i'm sorry i didn't mean to interrupt but i was just oh, i no, was no, curious good, about man. how that was
1: so, anyways, um, so then I was told to stand right there, don't let anyone come near the body. And uh, so I stood right there, and what was weird, I remember, like, just, again, just, like, talking to myself in my head, like, I kept staring at the body. You know, I, I remember, like, looking at the blood splatter all over the billboard, um, And, like, where I was standing, it was probably about, I don't know, 15 yards away, maybe. And uh, all it was, like, this really tall... Grass and stuff. While I was looking, and like there was blood and shit splattered everywhere. I was standing off to the the side, um, even that far away from that billboard. Yeah, I'm looking, and seeing the blood drip from his body and shit like that. And I'm like, I kept trying to say to myself, you know, he's he's no longer a threat. Don't look at him. You don't need to stare at him. You're good. But for some reason, I just I couldn't really look away. So then. Uh, someone finally came by and, uh, was able to leave me and, uh, pretty much just threw my AR back in, uh, my patrol car. And, uh, so I think at that time they had kind of roped everything off with, uh, you know, crime scene tape and all that shit. And I had, uh, I got my, I left my pack of cigarettes in, uh, the center console in my vehicle. And the uh, this is the sergeant. He was like, I started walking towards my uh, driver's side door to go grab my cigarettes. And I'm walking through all my fucking brass and everything, like, kicking some of it, not even thinking. And the sergeant was like, uh, he just didn't even say anything. And, like, I just walk over there, uh, grab a cigarette out of my pack. And, like, you can watch it on the, uh, the dash cam footage because I walked towards the uh, sheriff's deputy's vehicle behind mine. I'm like trying to grab fucking cigarette out of my cigarette pack. And I look there like I'm having fucking cerebral palsy or some shit.
0: <laughs> I think we need to step in real quick and, and finish one part of the story because I okay. we don't want to leave people hanging because I know what happened. But can you talk about the sheriff's deputy?
1: Oh, yeah. Shit. Sorry. Um, so, yeah. So he ended up um, – he took a round through the arms. So when when he stepped out with his rifle – so he's right-handed. And his left hand, that was he was using to support the rifle. Um, he took a round through his left elbow. Like, pretty much right above his left elbow, it went through his forearm. And then I think it exited out of the back of his uh, left bicep, if I remember correctly. But uh, EMS come picked him up, and they transported him to the hospital. And, you know, thankfully it wasn't. Well, I don't want to say it wasn't anything serious, but it, it wasn't fatal. You know, he, he pulled through, and uh, I think he had to have quite a few surgeries
0: after that whole situation. Did the guy on the billboard get any rounds off towards you guys or just towards the deputy? If if he
1: did, I, I don't know. Because like I said, he I didn't even know that he had shot and uh, until I I looked and, and seen that the sheriff's deputy was down.
0: So I know we got a lot to talk about with this mm-hmm. but I I wanted to break some of it down. I'm it's kind of crazy to me that they would have picked you to be the one that stand over there. Well, is that and- like that's insane to me. Now I, I maybe it's like the lack of resources but you know where I come from is you know you're mm-hmm. involved in a shooting as soon as it's cooled off you're fucking mm-hmm. out of there.
1: Oh, no, and it, it, it wasn't like that. It was, um, so the, uh, the supervisor at the time, uh, that was there, he, he didn't know, and, uh, so it, it wasn't, it wasn't anything to his fault. He, he had no idea that I, I ended up doing that.
0: Oh, uh, okay, I gotcha. And He's we, the like, oh, fucking that. rookie, send the rookie over there.
1: Yeah, no, 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 no. It was, uh, he, he didn't know any better. And, uh, it just, we, we only had a few people on the scene at the time.
0: Okay. I gotcha. So what was, I mean, if you know, what was that guy's story? Why was he up on the billboard? Was there actually a domestic? What do you know what ended up happening with that part of the investigation?
1: So from what I was told, um, he was actually up there, shooting at vehicles on the highway that were passing by that were headed to work that morning. And, uh, so get this. He, uh, actually had just gotten out of prison for, uh, possession of, you know, narcotics and stuff back in March, I want to say. Okay. And this was, uh, this was in July at the time. So.
0: Yeah, he made it like three months. It's pretty good. Yeah. He was, uh, he was a pretty
1: upstanding citizen until uh, that moment, it seems like. Just, just a little recreational math, you know, nothing too serious.
0: Was there a DV at all, or or
1: no? No, I, I think what had happened is is he would went to a house that was nearby there, and I think he started causing a disturbance or something at that house, and they, like, shut the door or some shit, and he just kind of kept going on. But uh, Uh, so he he actually I didn't realize this at the time, but he had like a fuck ton of ammunition. I don't know how many different mags he had up there that were loaded. But uh, he was definitely up there to. You know, he he wasn't up there to spread the word, spread the word of Jesus Christ or anything. So. uh, Are you sure? I I wouldn't think so. I mean, unless the I could be wrong. wrong.
0: church is a little more hip these days yeah i
1: mean unless the jehovah's witnesses are are starting to get a little bit more aggressive
0: well all right there's a joke to be made there but we're gonna leave that alone (laughs) so you're pulled off of it um what was kind of the aftermath for you as far as you know once you got pulled off the scene you know did you go home did you go to the station what happened So we
1: ended up getting taken back to the station and uh, ended up sitting there for a little while. We was waiting on SBI to um, get there, and then the FOP uh, attorney, he showed up. We talked with him for a little bit, and then uh, we kind of told him what happened. And then we spoke with the SBI investigator and pretty much told him everything that we saw, what happened. Um, why we did what we did, and uh, he recorded the whole thing, which is, I mean, it was a little odd, but I, I can understand why. Um, and then I think I finally made it home around like 12 or 1 or something like that that afternoon.
0: Oh, wow. So I'm i am a shitty Barbara Walters here, but I, I wanted to step back One one question I had that I forgot to ask. Mm-hmm. Did you have a body camera or anything like that? So we did have body cameras, but at the
1: time, I didn't have time to really turn it on. And honestly, the my body camera was like the last thing on my mind at that time.
0: You know, that was... Um... All right, you're causing a rant. So when I went Let's through the... Oh, here it is. So when I went through the Academy... You know, there wasn't body cameras, and then it, it started to mm-hmm. uh, to evolve. And I heard what they were teaching the recruits later on was, like, to simulate turning their body camera on before drawing a weapon or something like that. And that is thought... fucking asinine. I hope it's not true. But that is – look, yeah, obviously you want it to be cr- recorded. But yes. the last thing you want people fucking worried about – is, oh, let me make sure my body camera's on so I don't get fucking a forever nap. You know, like fucking, mm-hmm. I don't know. I hope I hope that's not true. I would be curious if people coming through these days have gotten anything like that. But yes, kids, protect yourself, then turn on the body camera. Or if you have time, sure. But I just, I hate that the emphasis was to fucking turn on the body camera instead of protect yourself. But what do I know? Mm-hmm. Oh,
1: and uh, that uh that does remind me. Um, speaking of the whole muscle memory thing. So, uh, for anyone listening, you know, as as you can tell my, my shit happened just after a year being in law enforcement. So it doesn't matter if you're on for a year, five years, 10 years, whatever, if you're past retirement, whatever. But I will say when you get into a situation like that, you don't really know how you're going to react. But the one thing I will tell you is be proficient with your firearms. Sit there and, and practice and train and just get familiar with it. Because when you get into a situation like that, it's it's really hard to explain. But the best way that I can describe it is your brain, it doesn't really shut down, but you sort of go into
0: autopilot mode.
1: You don't really think, you just do.
0: Yeah, it was interesting as you described what happened. It almost, you know, as I'm I'm trying to imagine this, it almost sounded like it was like in slow motion. Oh, yeah. Like my,
1: so one of my sergeants at the time, he watched the uh, dash cam video and he asked me, he was like, from the time you fired your first round to the time you fired your last round. He's like, how long do you think that lasted? I said, I don't know, maybe 15, 20 seconds. He's like, "Fuck no!" He said that lasted maybe about two and a half, three seconds.
0: Really? How many? How many rounds so did I, you fire? Because you, 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 I'm, you went through a uh, a magazine, right? It's thirty round mag, isn't it? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So when I when I would carry my rifle, I would carry it cruiser safe, which is chamber empty, mag in, on safety. So I would pack my mags to 28, just so it didn't have. Because sometimes if you pack the mag all the way to 30 rounds, sometimes that spring would still put too much pressure on, on the, uh, the mag well. And sometimes it wouldn't seat all the way. So sometimes you could hit a bump going down the road, and you open up your trunk and, oh, where the fuck's my mag? So that's another little uh, tidbit for some of you guys. Just uh, if you carry it cruiser safe. Keep in mind, 28
0: rounds. Ah, interesting. I never heard that before. So, but you shot 28 rounds in two seconds?
1: Two and a half, three seconds from what he was telling me. No way. Adrenaline is a hell of a drug.
0: No way. You couldn't pull the trigger 30 times.
1: You'd be surprised. I and Like, one of my things, too, that I was very fond of, when I sit there and practice training and, and shooting and shit, I would practice mag dumps. So I think a lot of it is just, like I said, just getting proficient with your firearm. But believe me, whenever he told me that shit, I sat there and thought, "I'm like, there's no fucking way." But he was like,
0: "Yeah, all right, Google's gonna know." All right. So according to Google, mm-hmm. and I don't know exactly what you shoot, but uh. M16 can fire a 30-round magazine in two – well, it doesn't say if it's uh, – I mean, I can't imagine it's uh, an automatic, but it says no, it can no, fire – it's It assumes you can uh, – the fastest shooter on earth did it in two and a half seconds. So there you go. Well, So I'm still like – I'm still like, I can't believe that. Mm-hmm. I'm going to move past it, though. I mean, no, I'm not... Me, I,
1: I, was, I was the same way when he first told me that shit. All
0: right. So, I guess we'll we'll move forward. So, you guys had the investigator come in. hmm Did you get Garrity or Branda or anything? Or you just gave him uh, statements? Did yes, they give he... you an option to come back the next day? What happened?
1: So, they did tell us that, you know, you don't... If you don't feel like it, you don't have to sit there and, and do this interview. They can get up with you another day. And I said, no, I just, I want to go ahead and just get this shit over with. And uh, so, and then once we sat down, he did read us our Miranda rights. Um, he, he ended up interviewing us
0: separately. So, and just to, just to have the discussion about it, I think it probably depends on the person. I know the information I was told throughout my career is, to usually maybe wait a day or two Mm -hmm. and process it before speaking was the advice that I was given. And I always, I I thought about that, like what I would do if I was in that scenario, if I would just give my statement and Mm -hmm. I guess it would probably depend on it, but I, I wanted to throw something out. And this is, this is a thought I always had and I would be curious what others thought is based on the advice that I was, was given is I give it a day or two. If you had, um, if you had a case where you wanted to interview somebody, generally we would do it on our time, not their time. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, I honestly kind of found that a little bit hypocritical, right? Not that I I'm not arguing with the four science stuff where it said, yeah, you know, for science to stand, yeah, I give it a day or two or whatever. Okay, but you know, I'm I'm just throwing out this hypothetical for us all to think about. Is you know, if a citizen went through something critical, would they get the same courtesy? You know what I'm saying? Yeah,
1: I see where you come from.
0: So uh, that you know, and, and I think I'm not trying to get a little too preachy here, and, and I'm I'm not up on this information like I used to be. So don't quote me on all of it, but you know, that, that, you know, I think sometimes we get into this trap of this fucker's lying to me because this just happened. They don't remember. <laughs> well, the information we get is, hey, wait a second and, you know, wait a day or two to talk about it. You know, this person being a shitbag as they are, maybe, maybe, maybe not, you know, maybe they need a day or two because they went through a critical incident to remember something, you know, just food for yeah. thought, something to think about as you're. Um, pondering life in your patrol car while you watch Netflix and listen to my podcast. All right, so you give your statement, and then what's the process from there? Are you given some time off, or what happens?
1: Yeah, so we were put on uh, paid leave. Um, uh, I think mine was about six weeks. What it took. Um, I remember my sergeant at the time. He ended up giving me a ride home because I couldn't really I couldn't drive my patrol car home uh, since it was part of the investigation scene um, but I ended up uh, getting dropped off in my house and side just taken me worked off my night shift uh, I remember getting home taking a shower and laying down in bed and trying to sleep and uh, man I I couldn't sleep honestly for like four days. Like I laid there, tossed and turned. I think I was able to get like maybe a couple hours of sleep one of those days. But I just I literally could not fucking sleep.
0: Oh sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but off the bat were you no, were good. you offered any resources by your department or anything like that? Or they were just like, All right, we'll talk to you later.
1: I mean, other than like them
0: calling and checking on me and stuff, um not really. I mean, at least they were calling and checking on you. That's the start, mm-hmm. I suppose.
1: I, I will, I will say, uh, there was this this one group that did show up, and uh, they deal only with emergency services and military, but they do a lot of critical incident debriefs, and those guys were amazing. Um, I'd actually ended up calling uh, that guy that was over some of that stuff and and talked to him and said, "Look, man, I." I think I'm. It's starting to get to the point where it's, it's starting to bother me and stuff, and I just I can't fucking sleep. Um. So he he brought me in and we sat down and talked for a while, and we ended up uh, doing what's called exposure therapy, and basically what that is is you sit there in detail, talk about your experience, over and over and over and over and over, and over to where in a way it sort of desensitizes you to the situation, I guess. And so how I how can pretty much describe that situation. So it, it worked in a way, but the one issue is, it would, it would basically like, the best way I can describe it is my shooting and, and parts of it would sit there, you know, like I, I'd be sitting there if, like, if I could distract myself, but if I, if I was like doing nothing, And sitting there and like my mom would start to wonder, that's like my shooting would sit there and play out in front of me like it was on a HD TV right in front of my face, just over and over and over and over. But because of the you know, the exposure therapy, it sort of took the emotion out of it in a way. And I think the longer I went with you know, once I got done with that therapy. Um, some of the emotions and stuff started coming back and it, it started, uh, not really caused me major issues here and there, but there'd be a couple of times I'd break down and start crying and shit like that, or, you know, just be real on edge and shit. Um, so ended up, uh, this was after I transferred to the sheriff's office. Um, but I met up with this one guy who was actually in a, another shooting and he was part of some peer support group as well. And we ended up going down to this big conference. um, And they would sort of separate you into groups based on your experience. Uh, And they had this thing called EMDR therapy. And it was weird as fuck. Um, But basically, you sit there with a therapist. And she handed me, like, these two little remotes. And I would hold one in each hand. And she said, you know, sit there, close your eyes, and think of the one of the worst parts about your situation that bothers you. So I sat there and imagined it in the best detail that I could. And then when she says, all right, so now take a, she's like, take a deep breath. So I took a deep breath, exhaled, and she's like, all right, open your eyes. And I don't know what the fuck that does, but I guess it has something to do with how our brains wired or some shit. But the best way that I can describe it, Cause it took it from like that HD TV that was sitting there in front of me, just constantly playing that shit over and over and over in front of me, and it's like it was a, like an old small black and white TV that was real fuzzy and just kind of moved it to the side of my vision. I know it sounds weird as fuck, but like that's that's the best way that I can describe it.
0: How you describe it makes sense. I don't understand the uh, the science behind, but now you're a little removed from it. And, and we'll jump back into more of the other stuff in a second. But now that you're removed from it even more, how are you doing with all of it?
1: I'm, uh, I'm doing pretty good. I, I had one incident. So, uh, spoiler alert. So, uh, since February of uh, last year, I'd actually been taking a break from law enforcement. So I ended up uh, taking a factory job, and I ended up, uh, or well, working in manufacturing. So, it was a nice little break, um, but I, I did have one incident where, you know, I, I worked by myself. I was in my own little area, and I remember I was scrolling through Facebook one day, and I seen some dash cam footage of a uh, state trooper who got in a shooting. And just watching his reaction to that shit, um, all of a sudden, it just made me, like, start tearing up and shit. Just, I started breaking down. I walked into my supervisor's office and I didn't really know how to explain it. So I was like, man, the the only thing I can I can explain it is I said I was in a shooting at one point with my old job. And I'm still sort of dealing with it. But that was I mean, throughout the year, I think that was my only time that I really had an, an issue with it. And, uh, I think really what I needed was just that break from law enforcement to take a step back and kind of, you know, gather myself. And, uh, I think that, that really helped.
0: So, and, and we'll get into, uh, I want to talk about the break a little bit cause I, I have some thoughts on that. So I, I just got to assume based on what you said, there were no issues with the investigation or the IA or anything like that. No, no, we, uh, so we actually
1: got cleared. Uh, well, technically, we didn't officially got clear get cleared, but we sort of got cleared uh, like a couple days after that whole situation. And um, but I think it took like a year, two years, no, probably about a year uh, for us to actually get the official letters from the DA's office that were officially cleared from it.
0: Did you ever go back? on the road on your department or did you, um, cause you, you mentioned that you went over to the sheriff's department.
1: Yeah. So um, after, after I got on, off that, leave, um I ended up sort of, and this was actually the therapist recommendation, but <clears throat> I ended up sort of doing like, a, it was basically like FTO in a way, but it wasn't, So I started off for like a week or two weeks where I was riding with a supervisor. And then after that, I would would pretty much just be the cover officer. And then after that, we ended up swapping roles where he was pretty much the cover officer and I drove and, and did all that stuff. And then that was pretty much it once, you know, I felt like I was I was good, ready to get back into it fully on my own. Then uh then I ended up getting back out there and working the road for I want to say I don't know three months, maybe, four months.
0: Was there a I guess a reason related to the shooting why you went to the sheriff's department and you're just looking for a change of scenery? What was the catalyst to that?
1: Well, I just I got kind of frustrated with some of the stuff that was going on and uh, just felt like I needed to change. Um, I had a lot of friends that worked at the sheriff's office that I, I really liked, really trusted. And they they kept trying to talk to me and, and get me to come to the, the dark side, as they say. And uh, so one day I, I seen the sheriff and sat down with him and talked with him and uh, they ended up. Somehow getting on the conversation of um, me coming and working for him and I decided, I'm like, you know what, I I think it might be good for a a change of pace. So um, once I transferred the sheriff's office, I ended up um, working in the courthouse. So I worked as a bailiff and I didn't mind it. It wasn't bad. Uh, It was definitely a, a lot different than working the road. But, uh, was
0: was that by choice or that was just basically what they had at that point?
1: It was basically what they had, and I, I think too, uh, part of it was just to kind of give me a chance, just to I think catch my breath, so to speak, or kind of take a break for a minute. And I, I think it too, he was wanting to make sure that I was good mentally. So, which which I could definitely understand where he was coming from.
0: We haven't talked a whole lot about the bailiff thing. I, I think we talked oh, you know what? I did a podcast with a guy and um he he said some shit and thought better of it. And uh I've I've referenced this before, but he didn't want me to put it out. <clears throat> and that episode, he talked about being a bailiff. So we haven't really got into bailiff stuff so much on the podcast. But, I mean, is there any excitement? Is it like Judge Judy? Or is it just pretty fucking boring, you know, transferring uh, back and I mean, forth? I there's, there's a
1: couple cases that were actually fun to watch. But, I mean, in all, in all honesty, it just, it, it wasn't for me. Because um, we're having to deal with inmates. We're having to deal with the public. And, and the thing about working as a bailiff in a courthouse is, it's not like patrol where you might deal with, you know, Miss Mabel down the street that's complaining about teenagers that are driving by too fast or making too much noise, and the next call you go deal with some dopers that in a DV or something. So being at the courthouse, you deal with the worst of the worst of the community day in and day out, and the way I kind of compared it. And, and this is just my two cents on it. I kind of felt like a Walmart greeter with a gun <laughs> because you had to sit there and, you know, talk with the old people and stuff when they come in. And, and then you had to deal with the, the dope heads and stuff that you would have to tell five times to take their fucking belt off whenever they come through the metal detector because they don't realize a belt buckle is made out of metal. Who would have fucking thought?
0: But you uh, you I, need to go to therapy not for the shooting but because of belt buckles. No oh my god. Don't even get me started.
1: But uh but no it, it, I will say it was it was a really good thing so because being able to sit there I I had never in my two years of working patrol never been to court ever. What? So another thing I want yeah, another thing I want to touch on. I had made a DWI arrest and they didn't take it to court. I actually talked to the an attorney or the attorney at the time about that. And he's like, "You did a really fucking good job on that report." And so I will say kids, if you're listening, take time on your reports, be very descriptive. And it can make you
0: have less court dates. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. That is right. That is good information. And you know, you know, I get a, a little stiffy. I just say stiffy? That's weird. I get a hard-on for good reports. But, and, and you know what? Maybe my reports sucked and I just think they were good. I think they were, I know good reports. I write the best reports. I know all the reports. <laughs> You're going to love my reports. But I, I went to court a lot and I think I went to court a lot because I wrote so many reports, you know, like I know Mm -hmm. a lot of people will not do supplemental reports, which I think is shitty police work. Mm -hmm. And they'll just say, ah, the other guy covered it in his report. You know, if I, if I was there and I did something, I wrote a fucking report because I was there and I did something. Unless it was like stupid, you and know, like yeah, you know, unless it was like a not not an issue or not going to court. Like if I took some kind of legal action potentially, or helped with an investigation, you're a shit bag if you don't fucking type two seconds and do a goddamn supplemental. Anyway, sorry about Exactly. That. Well, but yeah, like, you're right. Like right. You Good.
1: Before... Yeah. Well, it's like you've said before when it comes to dealing with calls and, and taking your time with some of these people and actually helping fix some of the issues that they're dealing with so you don't have to keep going back over and over and over. I know sometimes we say that we don't have the time for it. Same thing with reports. Take your time on it. Be as descriptive as you can. And, and read back on it and sit there and think, like, as if you're an attorney that's reading this, or you're some just random Joe Smo that's, that's reading this, and if they can paint a picture to where they can kind of see everything and understand what's going on, that's what you're looking for.
0: Nope. I'm gonna. I, I had a joke about painting a picture, and I'm just going to leave it there. Um, I was going to say, as far as the court stuff goes, I know the times I've sat advisory, it's really entertaining. I, I kind of like that. I almost thought for a little bit that I'd want to be a lawyer, um, but mm-hmm. then I decided I have a, a soul. I still love you, Saul. But... <laughs> Better call Saul. Better there you call go. Saul. There it is. Alright. So anyway. Um, but
1: no, one thing that I will say is, and this is just for our little area that we have, uh, it's like any other job, any other profession, you're going to have attorneys that are really great people. And you're going to have attorneys that can be shit bags that may stab you in the back at the chance they get. Um, but a lot of them, you know, I've made some pretty good friends with a lot of them. And I guarantee to this day, I could still call them if I, if I was dealing with a situation and be like, hey, this is what I got. What do you think about it? And they could be like, well you know, this is this is what I would do or this is that or, or whatever. Um and, and the one thing is I will say for you new guys that are getting into law enforcement, some of these defense attorneys they can kind of put on a show. Um they might come off as a dick. But just understand they're doing their job just as we do our
0: job. You know what? No. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree with that. I well, mean, and, and you're, oh, hold on you're right you're right you're right they are just doing their job but can we like where's the accountability for the lawyers can they like not be shitheads and shitbags bags and about the stupidest shit ever that you know and i get it and saul's talked about it is they, they'll throw anything at the wall but it's <laughs> so annoying when it's just the stupidest shit every single time you're like this is not going to work. You're wasting everyone's time. Raise a oh, good yeah. objection. Do that. That's fine. But like the games drive me nuts. I remember one time I was sitting in advisory and I thought this attorney was a total fucking bitch. And we get in a recess and I get mm-hmm. to talking to her and, you know, I'm like, she's fucking cool. Why can't she be fucking cool when she's doing her job? People expect exactly. cops to be fucking cool when they're doing their job. Why can't lawyers be fucking cool when they're doing their fucking job? And, and there's some of them that, that I've met that have, and they're, you
1: know, very, very respectful. And then I've seen some that are in a nice way, I guess, or a nonchalant way, sort of mocking the uh, officer when they're on the stand and stuff. But, you Fair know, it's, it's the ones that – there you go. <laughs> but uh, it, it's the ones that I've been able to sit there and, and talk with and stuff and, and really actually get to know them personally. And like I said, with every profession, you're gonna have your shit head, You're gonna have really good people. Um, it's just human nature. But uh, but literally, there there are a couple attorneys I'm sure out there that if you get to know them, they're more than likely gonna be willing to sit down and talk with you and stuff. Or like I, I've had some that have congratulated me on some of the reports and stuff that I've written, or you know, or even just just sat there and, and talked about like just dis- different types of bourbon
0: and stuff, just little things like that. So you did, the, um, you did the bailiff thing for a while, and then what was the next move?
1: So I worked uh, in the courthouse there for about two years. I want to say it was about a year in. I'd heard about an opening at a middle school for a school resource officer position. So I talked to the sheriff, um, and you know, going back to the whole thing of, of having a rough upbringing um, I started to sit there and think you know hey I can I can use my experiences that I've had at, at a young age and hopefully try to guide these children' stuff in the right direction I uh, you know fun fact I, actually my first job that I'd ever had is I worked at a boys and girls club uh, when I was still in high school and I mean I worked with you know kids all the way from in kindergarten all the way up to you know sophomores in high school. And uh, just being there and and knowing, like, some of these kids, they don't have good role models. They don't have anyone to really, you know, show that they care about them. I think that's a a big thing nowadays is if you can actually show that you care about some of these kids and just take the time to sit there and talk with them and stuff, I mean, it lights their world up. But uh, so I I went through uh, SRO school, and uh, I would cover – Uh, From time to time, because I was still assigned to the courthouse. But whenever the new SRO that got assigned to that school uh, would end up being out or something, and usually be a couple weeks at a time, I would go in there and I would cover for them. And uh, just to give you an example, you know, about sitting there just talking to some of these kids, I remember these two, uh, I think it was seventh graders, but they asked me if uh, I played. Call of Duty or, or video games or anything like that. And uh they got in the, the subject of Call of Duty. And I said, Yeah, fuck yeah I play Call of Duty. And they just the, the look on their face like just lit up. They couldn't fucking believe that a cop plays video games, let alone Call of Duty. And I sat there, talked with them about it for a little bit. I mean, they just absolutely loved it.
0: That's fucking cool, man. Then you took a little bit of time off, right?
1: Uh yes. So It was almost. It was probably about a month or two. Well, let's see. Say it was. Oh gosh, it was February. I started there, and so I don't know. It was maybe a couple months short of being about two years. Um, there at the courthouse, and uh, I just I got to the point where, you know, I I'd asked for, a full time spot at a school or working civil squad or, or just going out and working the road. And I just, I needed to get out of the courthouse. It just, it wasn't for me. I got to the point where I was getting burned out and I actually took a little vacation uh, prior to that. And I was gone for about a week. And I realized once it started getting closer back for me to, you know, about time to get back to work. I sit there and just fucking dreaded the thought of it. And I was like, fuck. And I was sitting there thinking, like, I really don't want to fucking do this. And so I was like, you know what? I just, I need a break. I need a change of scenery or something. And so I ended up finding that job in uh, manufacturing. And uh, to be honest, it's it's been about right at a year since I've been gone from the sheriff's office. And, uh, you know, I I still stayed sworn, still kept up my search and everything. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, I I didn't really come around the sheriff's office much. I I would pop in the courthouse every once in a while and uh, check on the guys, see how they're doing. And uh, other than that, I tried to just step away from law enforcement in a way and uh, just – Kind of mentally take a break from it and you know we had had just had a new election and uh, we ended up getting a new sheriff then and usually with all that change and stuff you're going to have change of administration people are going to leave new people are going to come in and uh after thinking about it and talking to some of my guys that are still working the road um you know they I talked to the new chief deputy and uh, he guaranteed me a road spot. So I'm actually in the process of getting all the paperwork refilled out, which is basically just updating my work history since I'm still sworn. Um, mm-hmm. And once I get that done, I'll be back on the road um, actually getting back through FTO and all that fun stuff. But uh, now that I've actually had some time away from it, I'm actually really excited and looking
0: forward to, to getting back into it. How was life on the outside though? I mean – Did you ever think like, "Eh, this is a life for me. I don't need to get back on, on the road. Or did you have that? I don't know. I mean, you know how I feel like it is a calling. Did
1: Mm -hmm. it call you
0: back? Or, I mean, what are your, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think you could have lived on the outside?
1: Definitely. Definitely. Um, So it was nice when I first left. Um, I went from, you know, being in the courthouse, having to constantly deal with the public. And then once I started that little job at the manufacturing place, I had my whole work area to myself. I didn't ever really have to even talk to anyone if I didn't want to. And I could just throw in my earbuds, listen to your podcast and do my own thing. And, uh, it was, wasn't bad. Um, and there at first I realized that, you know, I was like, fuck, I don't know if I want to go back and then seeing all the bullshit on the news and, all this other stuff that people were having to deal with and but as as time went on, I've started to get the feeling of just being burned out with the whole manufacturing thing and it's a lot of it I think was working, you know, as much overtime as I could and, and just trying to focus on getting as much money as I could saved up and all this stuff. But the one thing I've realized about myself is if I'm not in some sort of position where I'm doing something that benefits someone other than myself I'm just, I'm not happy. I don't get any fulfillment from it. And just being able to talk to some of the guys that are still on the road. And it's just made me realize that, you know, my place is out there with them. It's, uh, it was, it, like I said, it was a nice break. I think it was necessary just to kind of really, I guess, refresh myself and kind of learn a little bit about myself in a way. Um, but after having that time away from it, it's made me realize that, you know, it is a calling. It's, it's in my blood. It's, it's what I to do. And uh, especially, you know, working towards hopefully down the road, a full-time SRO position to where I can be a positive influence in, in a lot of these kids' lives and stuff. And, you know, the one thing I say is if you're going influ- to influence a community or make it for the better,
0: You got to start with the younger generation. Yeah, there's there's something to be said for that. I mean, I I definitely, you know, what you said about taking the break and it's a calling and, you know, knowing that's, you know, I know that's where my place is. I mean, I I love doing this and, you know, I will continue doing this, I think, hopefully Mm -hmm. as as long as I can. But I would be shocked if I'm never out there somewhere pushing a radiator, as the kids say. (laughs) <laughs> so now i i feel that man and, and i think too and that and that's probably something we'll hit on in, in a different podcast down the line but you know we got to start thinking about the younger generation of cops and what law enforcement's going to be and i don't know i mean you got to think a lot of the people a lot of kids that are in school over the in the last two three years how many of them in middle school elementary school are like i'll fucking be a cop
1: Exactly. I would think
0: not many of them. I would think not many.
1: No, no. I'd actually talked to a friend of mine that is uh, actually a, a recruiter for the Highway Patrol, and she was telling me that, like, it is absolutely hard to find anyone that wants to do this job. And I remember going in for in-service one day, and one of the guys that's over the B L E T stuff, I would hear him talk about these younger guys and stuff. They're in a BLET class right now. And it's like he said, I I just don't understand why anyone wants to do this job anymore, the way things are. And I I think the one thing that I've learned that's helped me is just, just be kind of mindful. Yeah. Times are different, but it's a job that has to be done. And on top of that, ignorance is definitely bliss. Yeah. You might want to, Keep an eye on some of this stuff that's going on in the world, but you can't sit there and focus on the negative or else it's going to give you a negative outlook.
0: Stop being positive.
1: Hey, I'm just a, a cup half full kind of guy.
0: I hear you buddy. We need to, uh, we need to do some fun shit and wrap this thing right. up. You ready for it? Send it. All right. So, what do you think the dumbest thing you did as a rookie was? Rookie mistake.
1: Oh, fuck. Um, So I was working a rig involving an RV. <laughs> These people were actually like, I think they were driving up from uh, Florida, and I think they were taking like a trip somewhere up north. And uh, they stopped at a gas station in our jurisdiction. Well, I ended up uh, Getting his license, all that stuff. And started to do the whole information exchange bullshit. And so with our center consoles, there was a gap in between the radio console and, like, the, the scanner and everything else. Well, I set the uh, license right there on my laptop as I'm entering the information. The fucking license slides off. It falls in between, like, Nothing but net fucking slips right in between that fucking hole into the ungodly abyss. And I'm sitting there thinking, oh, fuck. and uh, so yeah, and he was on a time crunch, so I had to wait on my sergeant to come up there with a uh, Allen wrench set so I could take all that shit apart and dig his license out. That was a uh, that was a little
0: embarrassing. <laughs> We've all done it. We have well, all at least it done it.
1: Like what I did, what uh, my sergeant did. Because after that, he's like, hey, don't sweat it. He's like, I did the same thing to the mayor's license one time.
0: Oh, that's awesome. Oh, shit, I forgot what your name was again. What is the fake name we went by? Oh, it was uh... Kyle, wasn't it? Kyle. Yeah. Look at you, Kyle. What is something you wish you knew as a young man, Kyle?
1: That oh, you uh,
0: now know now. Even though you are a young man, because I'm going to edit your, your age out, because you pretty much gave like your social and your birthday and all that, but I'll I'll take care of you.
1: I mean, if we're doing that, I might as well just give my, ass, uh, address, <laughs> not my ass,
0: address at this point. <laughs> Plug for Office for Privacy, by the way. So,
1: dude, what, I uh, actually used
0: that shit. It's awesome.
1: There thinking,
0: yes. Thankfully, surprisingly, my
1: shooting did not get much media traction. Thank God.
0: Well, when you're ripping rounds off of a uh, a sign off the highway, I, I don't know if there's <laughs> going to be... Even though the world's intense and crazy and stupid, I just don't think people are going to palate that very well, you know? hmm That was a weird way to say that. It's a good thing it's a poorly made podcast. But anyway, back to the question at hand. Uh, what is something you wish you knew, but you know oh, now? Oh, God. Uh,
1: law enforcement related or
0: just anything, man. Anything like if you got any tips for you know that you learned on Pornhub or if you know law enforcement wise, anything, man, I'm open for it.
1: I gotta, I gotta say, um, I wish I would have known that fucking crypto would have blown up like it was going to back like a couple years ago.
0: Fuck yeah, dude. I've and now it's blown up the other way. Oh, yeah. My stocks are so fucked.
1: Yeah, I'm uh, still kind of learning about some of that shit, but uh, who knows? Hopefully one day I'll actually turn a profit, but probably not.
0: Just giving money away to the rich people, that's all. Exactly. I don't know how that works. What would you say the uh, the proudest moment of your career was?
1: Oh, fuck. Um, hmm. I will say, uh, there was this one time that, so there was a call that come in, and it was like, I think it come in as like two people that went into a house with flashlights or some shit. Well, the house was abandoned. And me and this other person that I worked with, the first one's there. So, we go in, and, you know, I hit the fucking door. And go, hey, yeah, police department! If you're in here, make yourself known. Clear the first floor, nothing. Start going up the second floor, up the stairs. I mean, this just to give you an idea. This place has no power. The insulation is like falling out of the ceiling. There's wires everywhere. There's like, there's a fucking hole in the side of this house. And uh, so, anyways, I started uh, going up the stairs. You know, same thing. Hey, police department! If you're in here, make yourself known. And I hear someone say, We're up here. I'm like, oh fuck. And this is whenever the uh Rona stuff first started during the whole walk stuff. Bologna. The Bologna. Uh but uh, so we was making our way up the stairs and turned the corner and there's this these two people, one's a guy, one's a girl, they're putting their clothes on back together, and there's an air mattress in the middle of this room. I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? So, we separate him, start asking them questions, shit like that. Hey, you know, you got your IDs and all this stuff. This guy is like, I don't know, three, four hours away. And hey, I'm sitting there thinking, this is fucking odd. So, end up asking him, you know, what he's doing up here and all this stuff. And he was saying that he was bringing this girl some uh shit from this bakery that he owns. Like get bring her some food or some shit. And I'm like, three or four hours away, bring some fucking bakery. You know, we still got grocery stores and shit, right? Like what the fuck's going on? Well then we find out his buddy's out in the car in the street in front of the uh, the house there and we start talking to him and all this. And, well my other friend, she's interviewing the girl there and uh, so we go out in the front yard, start talking and stuff, and stuff's not adding up. Well, come to find out, this girl starts just breaking down and crying. And uh, she started to give us this excuse of, oh, he's my friend. We, we're renovating this house and, and working on it. I'm like, well, I mean, if y'all were trying to renovate, y'all did a shit job at it. But anyways, um, so then this other guy pulls up. And, well, she starts breaking down and crying and saying, like, this guy ended up making him or making her sign this contract, and he's basically pimping her out. And, I mean, this girl was, like, I think 23, 24 at the time. She was young. Yeah. But, uh, ended up digging into it a little bit and basically found out that she was being pimped out and shit, and, like, she was being used as a, a... I guess, hooker services, or if we're going to go the PC term, I guess, an escort or whatever the fuck you want to call it. So then the guy that's in charge of this shit pulls up. We detain him and start talking about all this shit, get him a sign, a uh, consent to search for him for the vehicle. We search it, find a stripper pole in his vehicle, we end up getting his phone and then we ended up getting uh, looking through like we found some folder or like clipboard, it had all these like documents and shit in there and talking about all these different transactions and shit like that. But evidently he had reached out to this chick and started talking about, oh, uh, I'm a uh, big on like Instagram modeling and all this stuff. And um, we'll start out doing like some photos and stuff and then may work our way to like nude photos and and it may be uh, videos and shit like that later on down the road, and made her sign this contract. Well, then this fucker evidently started posing as law enforcement and making her think that if, he didn't, if she didn't do what he said after she signed that contract, that she was going to go to jail and all this shit, and she was scared shitless of what she was saying. But uh, so this same guy was actually just got out of prison for doing the same shit, like running some kind of whorehouse or something in a nearby town and uh yeah so that was uh that was definitely interesting i remember uh photographing the scene once we got everything secured and working my way through there in this little room they were in had like a new set of blinds in that window it was actually swept out and in the back there's a little cup sweet tea in there she was drinking and there was hygiene wipes that were covered in fucking blood but they, he'd basically like drop her off and be like hey you're gonna have people come by and see you. you do what they say and yeah he stayed in jail for a good while I think it was big enough to where like um, was it Homeland Security or some shit there's some like federal agency that got involved because it evidently went across state lines or some shit
0: That's a pretty fucking good catch, man. I'm really glad I didn't play the porno music.
1: Well, and that just goes to show. I mean, like you said, man, on your calls and stuff like that, just slow down, take your time, just investigate into the shit. Because who knows? I mean, you might think it's something simple or or something like that, but if you really dig into it, it could be something bigger.
0: There's been a lot of shit missed because people are just trying to fly through their calls. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, I'm, I'm not saying, you know, every noise complaint, you need to turn into uh, a treason call or something. By the way, Colorado had a treason statute, and I wanted to charge somebody with it so bad. But <laughs> that would have been awesome. It never happened, though. But I don't think Iowa does. But
1: mm-hmm.
0: regardless, um, yeah, you know, it doesn't mean you need to go over the top, but just open your fucking eyes. You'll be amazed what you find. Amazing. Exactly. Like, I I
1: never will forget this uh, one time these people were renovating this house. And uh, we took a larceny call and uh, did the report and everything, got a list of what was missing. And, uh, I mean, we could have just finished off the report and just left it at that and just went off. But, you know, I took the time to look around the property and stuff. And since they had, like, done a little bit of grading and stuff there, there was uh, some hay and stuff that was laid down to, I guess, help the grass regrow in some of those places. But a lot of the stuff that those people had taken, which a lot of it was like, you know, saws and all other kinds of stuff they were using to renovate the property with. A lot of it was actually behind one of the sheds covered up in hay. And I was able to find a lot of that stuff. And it, like I said, you know, I wouldn't have found that if I wouldn't have took my time just to look around and, and sort of take my time with that call and, and figure out hey, just might be a good idea just to walk around and see what I can find.
0: Yep. It it's amazing just taking a few seconds to do a good canvas, whether that's knocking on mm-hmm. doors or checking the area. Would you want your kid to be a cop? Oh gosh. Um that's a hard question.
1: I would I would say I would kind of be, I guess, like my grandfather was. I would say no if I ever had a kid. But uh, if they truly wanted to go through with it, I mean, I would probably
0: support them no matter what. Good call. So something newer on the podcast, I guess it's not that new anymore, but do you have any uh, extraterrestrial or paranormal stories you'd like to share? If any?
1: Hmm, I will say, so me and, uh, me and my buddies were, were camping one time up in the woods, and, I mean, we were way away from town or any kind of civilization or anything. And uh, that is, we just camping on, on this mountaintop, and I remember mean, we were sleeping, and I woke up all of a sudden because I kept hearing this, like, this Noise. I don't even really know how to explain it. Uh, I guess it was kind of like a, a whooping noise. And I'd always heard stories and stuff in the past about, you know, Sasquatch or Bigfoot or, or whatever the fuck you want to call them. But I was like, you know, and I, I grew up spending a lot of time in the woods, whether it was hunting or camping or anything. And I'd never in all my life heard anything like that. And I'm sitting there thinking, what in the fuck? Well, as I start to look on YouTube and look through videos and shit, and almost that exact same sound that I had heard was supposedly, like some person thought it was like some kind of Bigfoot vocalization or whooping or yelling or something. But So I don't know. I mean, it, it may have been, but I've never really personally seen one. But that was the only other sound that I guess I could compare it to that someone else thinks is, you know, Sasquatch or whatever.
0: Interesting. So you described the sound as a, like a whoop kind of sound? Yeah, that's that's best I can describe it. Did it sound something like this? Is that what Sasquatch sounds like? If it had been something like that, I'd have been busted down in the woods. I don't know why you said that, and it reminds like because I've really never heard that word "whoop" except mm-hmm. in that song, which, by the way, fucking banger. Oh yeah, banger. Uh, all right, the next question: What? In your opinion, good sir, is the best patrol car of all time.
1: Oh, fuck. So you're going to hate me for this, but uh, but I do have a little bit of a redeeming quality here. So, as a patrol vehicle, I have never driven the Crown Vic. Okay. As a patrol vehicle.
0: It's fucking embarrassing!
1: Give your balls a tug, you tit-fucker. Give your balls a tug, you tit-fucker. Ah, there it is. But, uh, but, no, so most of the time I had a Charger, and uh, I absolutely loved that Charger. And then I had also driven a Durango, and I was not very impressed with it. Um, but one of my family members had actually bought an old retired crown deck from a local agency around here. And I did get to drive the thing handled pretty decently, was like a tank. I mean, it was just fun. And then just even just hearing like that engine, whenever you stomp on that bit and just hear it fucking roar. I mean, that thing was fucking nice. It was comfortable too. You know, a lot of the, uh, so, a lot of it, you
0: zoomers. No, go, go on. I'll go on my rant in a second. Continue. So I
1: will say I wouldn't put the crown back in my opinion, is the best because I didn't drive it as a patrol vehicle. Now, if I had one as a patrol vehicle, I'm sure it probably would be the best, but I've, I've got to
0: give it a, a fair opinion here. So were you going with the Charger or the Durango? The Chargers. Or, okay. Okay. You know, the Charger, I get it. You know, I, I respect – I'm not going to go on a tangent probably because I'm not drunk, but I, I respect that you don't want to vote on something – that you're not familiar with. I respect that because a lot of people will do that and they'll vote for people based on the D or the R next to their name. So I respect mm-hmm. that you're 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 um you're being clear headed about this. You're you're not gonna vote for something you don't understand. But I was gonna say you zoomers, mm-hmm. you people, you don't like the crown vic memes. Okay. I like the I crown know. vic no, memes. I'm gonna make the, the crown, the vic, crown vic, vic memes games. I, I'm telling you, I've noticed a difference over the last you know, four years of doing the page. The Crown Vic memes don't slap as much. And I, I saw a comment. I don't remember if it was on a one of mine or somebody else's Crown Vic meme. But if you've never driven it or maybe you only got to experience a little bit, you just you don't understand. You know, the sound oh, no, of I that car that's... is like something like you've never heard. You know, these oh, other man. patrol I cars that... come in to save you, save you doesn't sound the same it doesn't have that same feeling to it you know being a fucking rookie on midnight screaming around in a crown vic it's the fucking best shit ever man
1: okay now i i will say so i was actually first on scene for a uh a B&E that just happened at a convenience store and where this convenience store was located was on the top of a hill and i called it in First one there, get out. The door is, like all the glass is broken and alarms going off and everything. So I sort of look through the windows, don't see anything, call it out. And I hear my supervisor coming up the hill in his charger. I mean, like, he's probably about a mile away. And I mean, he stomps that thing and I can hear that thing just roaring through town. I'm like, that makes me moist.
0: Ain't no Crown Vic, though.
1: Uh, that is true. And, and like I said, if, if I would have driven one on patrol, I'm sure I probably would have picked it as, you know, the best one. But I don't have the experiences as using one as a
0: patrol vehicle,
1: unfortunately.
0: I hear you. All right. The moment, you know, let's be honest, man. No one cares about your childhood. No no one cares about your horrendous uh, ordeal oh, you had to go through. I know where this is going. The big question. The big question The people want to know how big your slong Just kidding. Have you ever pooped your pants <laughs> as an adult? As an adult, yes. Do you have a good story you want to share? It's not really a good story.
1: Um, basically, all it was, I was sick one time and trusted a fart that I shouldn't have. And uh, you can probably guess the rest from there.
0: Yeah, it happens, man. It happens. But we're here to support you. Okay, that's Keep all that matters. Those hard times. Well, Cal, I uh, I appreciate you telling your story, man. It got it got a little real there, but I I think it was um I don't know, man. It's it's good to hear. I think for people, uh, for a variety of reasons, that you know, I I think people can break the cycle, and I think you're you're evidence of that you know I, I hate that people kind of get in like well i got shitty parents so i got to be a shitty human being that's not true mm-hmm. and uh, i think for you know people on a job you know hearing what you went through and how you you dealt with it and um you know i th- i think it's good for people to hear about that cuz like you said the academy maybe they do maybe they don't prepare you for that so i think it's always good to share those stories so i appreciate you being my uh, my subject matter today man oh yeah anytime do you have any imparting words of wisdom for all the millions of listeners out there? Oh
1: gosh, um, some dad advice, I guess. Let's see. I I will say, I will say. You know, the big thing is just take your time on uh, your reports. Uh, take your time on your calls. And when it comes to the whole mental health aspect, um, just realize that you know it's it's okay to not be okay. And just just try to be aware of your mental health. Uh, try to notice changes in yourself and stuff, and and realize even if you're struggling with something, just try to reach out. Sometimes it can be as something as simple as as talk, talking with a friend or a family member. Or um, it might not have to be as far as going towards therapy. It doesn't always call for therapy. But the big thing is just the world's crazy. Take care of yourself, and uh, just. Be kind to one another.
0: I like it, man. I like it. Well, again, Kyle, thank you. And for all the millions of listeners out there, thank you guys for tuning in to yet another Very Poorly Made Police podcast. If you guys want to continue to make this podcast possible, do the stuff you're always doing. Tell a friend, tell a family member, tell somebody you think that would enjoy the content because you guys know I hate that word. And uh, help, help this bad boy grow. And then, uh, if you want to be a monthly donor, you guys know how to do that. Click the link at the end of the podcast description. And uh, you can throw a couple bones my way to help make this possible. Take care of the fine sponsors of the podcast. And of course, don't forget about poorly made merch. Go buy some stuff from Ghost Patch. I got all kinds of cool coins through them. I think almost everything's in stock. We're just out of a few things, but uh, it should be around. With that said, remember, Just because your stepmom is in a dryer doesn't mean you have to fuck her. And I love most of you. Bye-bye.